Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Mills on the 4th. I'm chatting with an old buddy of mine by the name of Jake Deal. We talk a bit about his background, his new band Capital Show, and some other topics too. So, how's it looking out in Maryland right now? How's it looking out in Maryland? Uh, th- to be honest, things are, are, are pretty good um, in terms of uh, the pandemic, in terms of the general vibe, you know, in Montgomery County here at least. Um, uh, things are obviously spiking, but I think we're lower than everywhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, things are as good as they could be for us. And we're fortunate that, you know, we can do what we do, but yeah. You think about it, you're pretty transparent and everything, right? We kind of talked about it before, but what was I like growing up though? You're from like, you're from the area, right? Yeah. Grew up in Howard County, uh, in a, 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 a pretty, uh, when you think of suburb, that's where I grew up essentially, uh, in River Hill, which you know, it was, was not a particularly tough upbringing, normal suburban white dude issues, I guess. Um, yeah, I was fortunate that I had, you know, an infrastructure around me where I could learn to play drums with a full kit pretty early on, and my parents um, allowed it. But, uh, yeah, school wasn't really a huge issue. It didn't, you know, normal suburban white kid stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it was pretty... Um, uh, pretty white bread stuff, I guess. I don't know. Nothing really uh, sticks out as being dramatic or anything like that. I played in a kick-ass band in high school. That was pretty cool. Yeah, kind of some post-hardcore stuff, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, those yep. uh, like an incident empire, right? Or something like that, right? But those guys had it coming, though. Those guys deserved it. Yeah, though, right? that was with a, a band um, I played with right before Jenny A. Techno called uh, Tasting Empress and Tasting Darkness. Um, yes! Right when I was coming into uh, my own as like a an adult, I blew up at, at the guy um, because he wouldn't pay us out. And, uh, you, you know, I was thinking before this, you, you mentioned Empire, I was thinking, I don't really have any shit to talk about any previous bands or anything. It's all been, you know, pretty pretty good experiences. But I will talk shit about venues, Empire being one of them, top no of my problem. fucking list. You know, <laughs> shit, I, I do too. Like on Twitter, it's like, you know, those are the things that somebody asked me, are you upset some of these venues are closing? You're right, I shed a tear of laughter because some of these bastards deserve that shit dude a- empire i'm you know i wasn't that um basement jacks or something before it was, it was one of them shit you know yeah it was a cool venue i mean I, I i still like look upon the look upon look at those pictures fondly because kelly was in that band too um yeah so my mom came to a gig and, and took a bunch of pictures there oh. but uh but yeah empire they had a good sound system um yeah, but yeah, all the venues closing. Some of them, like Villain and Saint, I always like that place. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I was Can trying to, I was trying to get booked over there actually, and one of my buds' bands was playing over. But then, for some reason, they got which it's like you know they got rescheduled something like that. I was supposed to do some over there too, the Nirvana tribute thing, you know. Oh yeah. And it's weird because we actually nailed a version of About a Girl and the other song. Um, it was on the first album. It was damn, I can't remember. The f- Smells like the, Teen Spirit. Nah, no, nah, nah. I know, no, no, no. Shoot. That would have been... T- I would like to revamp the fuck out of that thing, actually, you know? Um, Blue, that was a song. The okay. first album. Blue actually did that right there, you know? So it was like... Um, good song. That was a great fucking album. The first one, Bleach. I didn't realize how gritty they can get. It was... It was... Bored. It was It was almost like, is it metal? Is it punk? Is it pop? Yes. It's all of it. All of the above. Exactly, you know? Yeah. But, right. uh, 
And circling back, yeah, I didn't blow up at anyone in Sacred Sun. I mean, I was 15, 16, 17. And no. We were just happy to play gigs. You, but, you, you've uh, never been the type to do that. You've been the reasonable one, you know? Well, but, since, you know, if it's my money, my car, you know, my reputation on the line as an adult, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to uh, blow up at people. And even if it's only 15 bucks for making it at the end of the night, I want that damn $15 out of principle, you know? I've had a couple incidents. Eh, I don't know. I never forget this one wrestler said this a while back. He, the first wrestler I met was Samoa Joe said, "I've never been in a fight, but I've been involved in a few assaults." <laughs> I'm like, I like how this guy thinks. None of my confrontations ever involved any sort of fisticuffs. They were just you know verbal arguments. You know, exactly. Back and forth. Same here. Yeah. I'm. I have a tendency more screaming people and kind of roast the shit out of them. Um, shoot. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, alright, so, but yeah, Tasting, Empress Tasting Darkness, though, because I remember, it's a funny story, I, you actually had a page on the old Afropunk site, believe it or not. Tasting Darkness did, yeah, I know. Yeah, they I, did, I, yeah. I remember, because it was like, it didn't, I was like, wait a minute, and I saw you there, right? Yeah, I, was I, like, I think, I, I think you ran that or something back in the day, and it's crazy how our paths kind of crossed. Sort of, kind of, like, okay, I was a moderate, here's the deal, when it came to Afropunk, I was one of the first 20 members, right? First 20, 25 members of the gotcha. board, right? Yeah. So, you know, Vagam even interviewing a lot of people from the first wave before it turned into, I don't know the fuck to call this thing. But, um, but yeah, but like, okay. So, but the thing I always kind of dug about you, actually, you always play in the bands where you always wanted to learn, you know, basically backgrounds didn't matter. It's only, can you play? Cool. That was the thing I always kind of dug about you, you know, amongst many things, you know? Sure. So, but you know, speaking of which, how long have you been playing drums though? Playing drums, uh, let's see, I started when I was nine, so 23 years, over two decades. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, that's about right. Uh, I've been playing drum set for 21. I originally started playing, uh, you know, in, in the elementary school concert band. So, uh, you know, learning how to play the, the upright. Uh, bass drum, you know, concert snare drum stuff, crash cymbals, a little bit of bells and xylophones. And I did that all through high school and then uh, started playing drum set when I was like 11 or so. Okay. And it's cool. all downhill since then. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nah, not downhill. No, More no. or less like, yeah. But yeah. All right, so biggest influences and what do you learn from them? Biggest influences. So... Uh, you haven't we, we we moved houses a while back and uh ever since uh I've, we've got this super dedicated space in the basement i tend to wear a lot of my influences on my sleeve so if you can see behind me there's some frames um pictures three biggest influences who are framed behind me from a drumming standpoint lonnie white from return to forever john bottom from zeppelin and billy cobham from a lot of stuff mahavishnu orchestra you know his solo albums and stuff like that um, so those are, you know, the, the main guys. And then all my teachers growing up, obviously influenced me heavily, oh, yeah. um, from the dudes who taught me jazz fusion you know, about those jazz fusion guys and college, uh, Afro Cuban, my, my teacher in college who, uh, started teaching me about the clave, how to incorporate some Afro Cuban rhythms, um, up through, you know, as when I moved to DC, I started learning about go-go and, and, and tangentially sort of got into this whole world of you know gospel chops and, and worship music and stuff not that i ever really took a deep dive into that but um 
learning kind of how to how to chop it up a little bit, um, that was a fun to learn. So that's the long and short of it there. Okay, good shit, you know. You know, because I always felt like that's another cool thing about you too, because you've always been, you've always been, always open musically to like check out certain stuff. Because I remember like, you know, we posted videos on YouTube, you know, back in 2014. We still do, but you post some stuff from Kendrick Lamar, I believe, and also Foo Fighters as well. So I'm like, are you like a very oh, diverse? Oh shit, Dave Grohl. He has to be an influence too. Damn. Oh yeah, of course. Can't believe I didn't mention that. You know, funny thing about it is though, Dave, you and Dave Grohl share a lot of the same influences, though. You know. Or he's influenced by the guys are influenced by the by the guys you're influenced by, you know? Yeah, I think we could all divide by two and and figure out, oh, everyone's influenced by John Bonham. <laughs> oh, of course, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I in terms of, of of influences, I'm very passive that way. But I'm I'm like lazily passive. So like if someone you know, just a, a, a general acquaintance recommends a band say cool and i'll check them out and you know maybe i take a listen but if i play music with somebody and especially in a band and we might cover this person or this artist then i'll become a fan of it um for example for a while i was sitting in with uh, kelly's old cover band and they covered a lot of bruce springsteen and while I'd, i always had respect for the boss i never really thought to you know try and play along any of these tunes and they're kind of like deceptively difficult billy joel too very and, nuanced uh, you yeah, know. incredibly nuanced. And uh, then it's, you know, Grand Funk Railroad, stuff like that. And it's like, these, they're, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not jazz fusion by, by any stretch of the imagination, but the songs are great. And I've become fans of, you know, m- more than a casual fan, you know, seek out some, some deep cuts of Billy Joel every, every once in a while. So, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my vibe. And, and the same thing with like all this stuff, uh, Jenny Hayes Techno used to cover and the sort of vibe that um, that band had the up-tempo, you know, like, DC punk rock sort of thing, like Fugazi and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Angry Chair by Alice in Chains. You know, I still listen to that some of, some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, speaking of which... Waiting Room, didn't we try and cover that for a while? Yes. My yeah. original plan was to cover Waiting Room, and actually, that one weird spot and everything, I said, what's the rest of the song? And go with something else. <laughs> yeah. That was the original idea, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's like... Speaking of which, actually, I was watching like um this Allison Chains tribute thing, right? So all these bands are covering her stuff, right? Yeah. Did you see, have you seen Fishbones cover of Them Bones? I don't think so. I don't think so. I have to check that out. That thing was fucking amazing. Seriously, Phil Fisher, he was playing funk in seven eight time, and I'm like, that, yeah, that's not something you you see every day. No, I don't. And it was, I was just enamored. I've just been enamored and obsessed with this clip, actually. You know, I had like the big ass anime sweat bead next to my head and everything. <laughs> you know? I got it queued up. After this, after this, I'll check it out. Oh, yeah. So, all right. It's so like, okay. So, all right. So, right here. So, right here. So, right here. All right. So, speaking of like, okay. So, I mentioned the Get Up on Rocker thing, actually. You know? It's like, I don't use that name as much. I'm more sketchy MD now, but eh, yeah. not much of a difference. If you tell us, like, spelling. So, that being said, I also knew, I knew you by the name Diesel Deal. So, how did the name come about? <laughs> it uh, has nothing to do with music. Uh, m- my brother actually came up with it. He uh, played football in high school, and he's a big dude. He, you may have met him. Um, I think I have. He played, he played middle linebacker uh, in, in, uh, in high school. And he'd always joked that when he has a kid, he wants his kid to be, to come out of the womb, 
six foot three, two twenty, named Diesel. And then the, allit- the alliteration of Diesel Deal. And I thought, well, I'm going to take that and just kind of use it as my internet handle. And here it's we cool. are. He doesn't let cool. me forget that. And if I ever do end up making a buck from anything, you know, Diesel Deal related, I'm sure he's going to come asking for a cut. Of course. So, sure. yeah, that, that's it. Diesel Deal. A cool alliteration. I'm not a fan of Diesel. I'm more of a renewable energy guy. Uh, so <laughs> it doesn't even make sense on a lot of different fronts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like that was a weird sideways Kevin Nash reference, something like that. All right, I remember this other thing too. Years ago, in fact, I think it's still on your SoundCloud page. It was one called the Goo Crew a while back. You know, how did that come about? <laughs> oh man, I, I knew you were going to bring that up. Uh, it came about because uh, right in grad school and right after grad school, so uh, a little over ten years ago. Kelly and I were living in, a, living in an apartment downtown and I needed something quiet to do drum wise um, and still be creative uh, and, you know, kind of flex the rhythm muscles. So I started making like beats, like rap beats and hip hop beats. And uh, I learned about, uh, you know, Jay Dilla and stuff like that, and Dilla beats. And so I tried to starting to emulate some of that. And then it turned into, oh, I just made, you know, like a, like a lo-fi hip hop groove. And then... You know, a bunch of my friends started also getting into hip-hop and everyone started getting a microphone. And then basically we'd party on the weekends and set up a mic and whoever had bars would just spit over it. And then I'd spend the next week kind of editing stuff together. And it turned into, I, th- I think we have like 12 songs or something. But So, because it reminded me of the Beastie Boys a little bit, actually, you know? Can remind yeah, me of the Beastie Boys a little bit. Like I mean, it's hard I. I we're not not influenced by the we're <laughs> as if it's like an active thing. We're not not influenced by the Beastie Boys, but uh, yeah, there's some like legitimately. I, I'm proud of a lot of that stuff. The beats that uh, that I made and and some of the, the some of the people's verses are are pretty good. And I yeah. you know whenever there's a, an empty verse, I'll, I'll obviously take it. So, but yeah, <laughs> God, did you listen to any of those songs? I was I remember the Thanks Dad one actually, and the one reference to Freddy Krueger actually. <laughs> Yeah. So I remember that, actually, you know, because I was like, and actually this kind of cracked me up, though. Cause, but here's the weird thing about it. Believe it or not, the Beastie Boys released a country album, right? Literally for, like, their friends and family, right? It was never meant for actual release, but it got leaked <laughs> out and shit, you know? So it's almost this weird thing where it's almost like this, everybody, a lot of these artists have, like, these alter egos, right? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, one of my favorite artists is Blowfly, right? And he was, you know, songwriter Clarence Reed, wrote, like, a lot of stuff down in Florida, Clean the Wound by Betty Wright, you know, shit like that, right? But he's yeah. technically one of the pioneers of rap. He's like, you know, before even Luther Campbell existed, he was literally rapping dirty, you know? Mm. Like, really basically, before WAP and everything, he literally was, like, his, he had a song called Porno Freak back in 1978. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, he's, that's early on. Exactly. So, you know, but yeah, you know. So, it's yeah, like. Goo Crew, it's, it's just a collective and, uh, yeah, it might be something like what you're saying. You know, if I ever hit it big, you know, if that ever happens, someone might, you know, put two and two together. Oh, shit. Yeah, but it wasn't bad or offensive, though, actually. So it's almost like, it's like cancel Jake, cancel Diesel deal party. It's not going to be like that. It's almost like this guy's <laughs> fucking hilarious. No, you know what's funny? So well, if, if there was anything bad, A, it wouldn't have made the cut. I don't I don't think anything bad slipped in there. Fuck and, no. And that's, I listened with ears like, what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of suburban white kids. What are they rapping about? That's what I was looking at. I was like, yeah. all right, y'all get, 
It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. I was like, okay, pleasantly surprised. But Not I, that I, I expected anything, because you would no, never No, no, I know, that. I know. But I, I would have taken it down had there been anything, like, of course. You know, like bad. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. I wish we could still do it, but everyone kind of moved away, and I haven't really been grabbed to make any new beats lately. So it's been a while. Oh, but, yeah, we have a Scientology song, and I, I was looking at the plays on the... On the um, the the SoundCloud, and oddly enough, the the song about Scientology, kind of obviously parodying Scientology, it has hundreds of plays, if I'm not mistaken, and everything else is like twelve, thirteen. So, obviously, some Scientologists maybe have have found this that is, you know in their Google searches. So, you think Tom Cruise right there is basically clicking with rage, like rage listening? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right, remember one. Okay, a few things I remember, you know, about you is like, okay, you were endorsed by Soul Tone, right? Mm-hmm. How did it happen? Uh, I asked them, and they said, sure. Jeez. <laughs> That's literally all that happened. But in all honesty, I think that might be a, a bit of their, their business model is to take, you know, drummers that are at least actively playing and can, you know, put, put the Soul Tone sticker on their kick drum head and at least get the word out, and they give them a, a steep discount on cymbals. And... um yeah, I mean it's it's cool. It's a cool little feather in my cap. I, you know, I just ordered another symbol actually uh, earlier this week to replace a broken soul tone symbol. Nice. And uh, yeah, they they sound great. I've recorded many albums with them at this point, and they've they've always sounded good in studio and live uh, for the venues that I've been playing at least. Um, but yeah, I literally just just asked because they had a little thing on their website saying you want to be an endorsee, and so I figured cost nothing to apply for it and it's a win-win why not and sure enough 10 years later here i am smart move you know and and what was cool not to harp on it but like they have like legit drummers also on the same roster obviously there's different tiers of of artists but like but like i just saw um the recently deceased i think drummer of iron maiden was doing soul tone stuff um uh, Guns N' Roses, uh, that drummer uh, mm-hmm. was doing Soul Tone stuff. Michael Jackson's tour drummer, yeah. Brian Carey's tour drummer. Um, uh, so they have like legitimate artists as well. Yeah. Um, so, but I think there's a lot of boutique symbol companies that kind of follow in that same, and and drum set companies that kind of follow in that same thing, and you know they have a huge artist roster, and you know whichever one pops, like great, you know that's that's uh, a nice little feather in their cap as well. So. Yeah, it's no, a cool so, little thing to say. Like, oh, yeah, I'm having an endorsement. Exactly. Fuck yeah. It's like, yeah, why not? You know, shit, that's fucking dope, you know? All yeah. right, so speaking of Capital Chill, actually, so how did it come about? Well, um, I never started my own band before. I've been at the genesis of bands that I've started with other people, but I never tried to start my own from scratch. And um, I had a lot of thoughts about how a band should be run. And uh, after and taking notes about how other people's bands have run and what I think is the right move, uh, I decided. And Kelly as well. I'm sorry, Kelly and I started it. We decided to uh, to start our own cover band, and the goal being, you know, play local bars and venues and play songs that we want to hear, rather than relying on you know whatever the jukebox is playing or another cover band. Play songs that that we want to play, and uh, get paid a little bit of cash to do it and maybe get a couple free beers and a a hamburger. And uh, if I'm going to the bar, 
I might as well also be playing drums, which is something I like to do, and have a few beers and get those for free. That's kind of what uh, what drove it. And, uh, you know, I, I'd spent, so we started at the beginning of this year in very poor timing, but I'd spent, you know, the end of 28, basically 2018 and 2019 playing a shitload of gigs with a couple different bands. And um, a lot of them were, were awesome. Ton, in fact, all of them were great gigs. But a lot of them were at, you know, like dive bars and stuff, which I love. But uh, playing a half hour set, it just wasn't enough. And so I'd like to just hold the stage for a couple hours and play a couple sets of, of music that I like to play and hear. And hopefully people do as well. So that's how it started. So let's talk about Mother's Oven, though. Mother's Oven, yeah. There was a... Uh, we, we put out an album in July, a double album that we've been working on for quite some time. And, uh, you know, as I'm sure everyone who also has a day gig knows, sometimes recording music and playing gigs on the side takes, takes some time. So, yeah, we started writing and rec- we recorded it in chunks. We'd write like four or five songs and then we'd pick a day or, or really a, a weekend and block that out to just start recording it. And the beauty of it is between all the, the members in the band, we've got a bunch of recording equipment and the infrastructure here to, you know, we, we can play as loud as we want and take as many takes as we want. So, you know, uh, the bass player, Logan Hartzell, would uh, bring over a bunch of mics. Uh, he's got some good mics and um, uh, all of his interfaces and the preamps and the software. So he has like a mobile kind of recording setup and, and we just knock out four or five tracks in a weekend over the course of three years. So we did like, shoot, like five mobilizations or something. And we'd, we'd uh, basically turn it into a big party um, and just kind of like, you know, we'd say, Logan and I would set up the night before all the mics and we track drums first and scratch everything else. And so the night before we'd set everything up and then in the morning he'd come over, we start sound checking and then, you know, have our ceremonial beer and then uh just kind of see how far we got and usually i was able to knock them out in you know a couple hours but uh yeah three years and it's technically a double album like 15 or 16 songs or something like that or 17 and uh yeah it was our labor of love it uh we had some personnel changes and lineup changes and various life things going on and we're very proud of what we did it just got reviewed by uh uh, prismreviews.com I think they liked it so but yeah and 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 you know with the pandemic and everything everyone's still mobile but you know we still try and get together and stay creative and send tracks like hey here's a riff you know you know take a listen add it to the you know virtual bookshelf and when we can get back together and start writing and recording more um, we can pull that off the shelf dust it off and, and turn it into a song so that's Mother's Oven those guys uh I've been with them since 2014. So there's one, there was one point when I was playing with Gen 8's Techno, uh, Empress and Tasting Darkness still, technically, Mother's Oven. And then I think I had a church gig for a while in there. Um, and then possibly like a fifth, a fifth group uh, that did, you know, like, it was like cover band type stuff, I think. Uh, they I were short-lived. I remember it was a seven-day Adventist church, right? It was. That it one, was right? Yeah. It I was, remember, uh, you know. It was an, yeah. it was an interesting fit. I'll put it that way. Being to be nice, it was interesting. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and uh, 
I'm not a religious person at all. And so they would constantly invite me to, to come sit in the pews. And, you know, there was a back room for the musicians. And I just, I, you know, I'm good. I'll, I'll hang out back, uh, back in this back room. And there was another guy who used to sit with me. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really boring. And um, luckily there was no rehearsals. There's just sheet music show up and play it on a little electronic kit. But uh, that was my, my, I dipped my toes into the world of, of worship music. And it, that's a whole nother you know, there's a whole community of people doing that that are way better than I am to deserve to be doing that. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Seventh-day Adventist. I, I, I'd kind of forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah, that was early mornings on Saturdays, which I always thought was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if it was a particularly long, you know, there was definitely times when, you know, maybe we had a gig on a Friday night that went super late and I had to get up and go to church the next day. And uh, it was... Uh, it was probably a good thing I was sitting in the back the whole time because I'm sure I was I got booze coming out of my pores or something. Hey, Couldn't almost every good. Hey, almost every gospel drummer I knew that sounds like just a day off. Oh yeah, <laughs> they get yeah. turned Saturday night. It's like, of course. Oh fuck, I got a hangover in the house of the Lord. Yeah, and you got to go play drums, and you know maybe you got in ears pumping stuff into your right into your skull. Oh shit! You <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Actually, I could, and I'd rather not. You know. Yeah. But yeah I remember, like, you played. Okay, mother, mother of them played US uh, WUSA nine one morning, right? We did that twice, actually. Yeah. Twice. Okay. Cool. So, what was well, that experience actually, like? Shit. Did the second time? What was that experience like? It was. Um, it was pretty surreal, to be honest. They treated us like, you know, how they treat any guest, which was incredible. Um, just a local band. And it helped that we had an in, like Logan, the bass player, he he worked at WSA. But that, that's not to say that, like, there was any, uh, like, nepotism there or anything. No, was, no, no. They were looking for local bands, and he said, hey, I'm in one, and we made the cut. You know, we weren't bad. We aren't bad. No, you're fucking dope as shit, actually, you yeah. know. Because I remember so, you all play Frohawk, and I was like, okay, your demos did not do y'all justice. Yeah. Frohawk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, forgot about it. That was with the temp, but anyway, um, WSA nine. It was it was really cool. Like we sat in the green room, we sound checked. They put the the hit packs on us, and we had to, uh, you know, they blocked us where we would stand for the cameras and everything. And um, it was it was pretty badass. Uh, and the first time we did it, we were all obviously nervous. But the second time we did it, it was maybe a year later, and they did the same sort of thing, like a local music showcase. And uh, we actually got. I don't know if it aired live, but we recorded a whole thing of one of the songs. It's off this new album. But we got bumped, um, at least in part, because of uh, the uh, Kavanaugh hearings, where they okay. were like literally confirming him. So the producer right before said, "Guys, I don't know if this is going to air. We're still going to do it, but you know, they might end up, you know, cutting you for you know cutting over to the the Kavanaugh stuff." Yeah. So I, I don't know if it actually aired, but we got the footage, and I, I managed to cobble that together into a, a little music video. Sweet. But uh, yeah, the second time around, we knew what to expect, and it was still cool for sure. And it's a nice, also a nice little feather in in your cap. And uh, but myself and the guitar player Dennis spent the rest of that day. Uh, I took off work. We spent the rest of the day kind of being like, hell yeah, we were on TV this morning, and then we just got annihilated at a bar for the rest of the day, just <laughs> telling everyone who'd listen. Yeah, man, we're, hey, we're in a band. We were on TV this morning, so that was pretty cool. It was pretty fucking dope, you know? Shoot. It's like, that was actually playing at for 
those talk with Jenny's telling her to do that because you know Rochelle was talking to somebody there, yeah, and they fell out. So I'm like, well, fuck. You what know? you say that fell out? Is that what you said? Yeah, they fell out. So it's like it was kind of a weird thing there. Oh, so it's yeah. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's all about who you know to an extent, and yeah. you know, like asking around. The worst people can say is no. So exactly. Emailing producers, finding them, especially now on social media, like the local TV show or local TV stations, producers, like they all have their own brand. So, and, and, and now, you know, there's, there's social media, um, personalities like their Facebook pages and stuff that, that will host your live stream that, uh, you know, that, that might be the new thing too, where they just kind of ingest the feed from wherever you're live streaming from. I noticed that. To, you know, write to their audience, depending on, you know, how, how large it is and how, how engaged they are. But yeah, you know, the worst thing people can say is no or fuck no, but who cares? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, it's like true. It's like here's the thing about it. It's not about the no. It's sometimes the theatrics. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah. yeah. All right. But I remember, you know, regarding you know, like the YouTube videos, you know, you're doing. I was wondering, what's like your mic setup like? For uh, the cap chill videos. Or, Actually, or... really going back to the beginning to now, is there is there a difference or like because. I don't know when you, when the last time we met, I sucked at engineering. Now I'm actually quite better at it. <laughs> yeah, know? it's so. I, I, what I quickly learned is it's one thing to be a drummer and a, and a drummer only. That's cool, but I, I I I decided that I want to be able to put content out and to start with a pretty high bar in terms of multi-tracking my drums. So not just setting a phone in front of your drums. And letting that little condenser mic pick up the drums, which which works, and I used to do. But so I started with a uh, on eBay. Someone was selling an old set of CAD drum mics, C A D. Yeah, which the I seven still piece use. ones, right? Yeah, yeah. I use it for live because uh, they're compact, um, and you know the dive bars we play at. I, I'm I'm not super concerned about what the sound sounds like, but but they have really beefy clips for the drums, and they're very compact, and they have a little case. So I started with that, and then I, I realized, well, okay, I have the mics now. How do I record with them? So I had experience with uh, Ableton Live from college, and I figured out you know, how to get that sound from those mics, those CAD mics, into Ableton. And then from there, it was, okay, I don't feel like breaking down my mics every time I have a gig versus when I come home and do my drum covers or whatever. So that started me into my whole world of buying um, audio equipment, and I have since bought a shitload of microphones. Oh yeah! So I've got all beta, um, beta, sure beta mics on my kit. Um, I've got the 98 AMP on my floor tom, the 58A on my kick, the beta 57s on my snare. Actually, I just I just have 57s on my rack toms, um, and then I've got. You know, uh, some road con- uh, condenser mics, the the nice. large diaphragm ones, and uh, ribbon a condenser. Uh, I think it's just a condenser mic. It's the N- NT1A that we use for vocals, and then I got a bunch of another whole mic box for um, live sound as well for for vocals and micing um, cabs, which are, are just you know sure um, uh, Beta 98s and 97s. 
as well as a handful of, you know, random AKG condensers or something like that. And it's, it's a constant perusing of, of eBay for, you know, you know, what, what, what mics did Foo Fighters use back in the day? You know, that you can buy cheap now from 1995 or whatever. So, but yeah, that's kind of the mic evolution. This is actually a mic that um, someone left at my house in high school. And I figured it's perfect for a, um, uh, a talkback mic. Cause this is what I communicate with the vocal booth. If we're all wearing headphones, it's just easier to talk into this mic. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know, it's like, shoot, similar situation. Like, yeah. When it comes when I was recording drums for like demos and stuff like that, you know, like what I would do is do like the four mic setup, you know, basically it was only like sometimes three or four in mic, you know, because I'm, you know, like for example, two overheads, kick and a snare thing, you know, just make sure the thing's balanced and have the drummer play balanced out and everything. Get some really good stuff. Basically, yeah. it's not like over only Stones album. Yeah, you know? like a Glenn Johns sort of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and there's something to be said about that, but at the same time, if you have the the means and the the ability to to get you know ten mics on your kit, do it, uh, do it. Yeah, why not? Right. Exactly. You know, basically one in front, basically even like um, you know, it's the thing I was trying to do that one time, but it didn't come out right. I was trying to be because like you know sometimes I notice with the bass drum, the mic both sides, the beater side, and also also like you know the front side as well. I try to yeah. do that. So I was trying to do that, it didn't come out right. So there's and also some intricacies th- to that. That uh, yes, there are. You know, sometimes I, you know, I to to be fair, uh, Kelly actually bought me an online class about how one of my favorite bands mixes drums specifically, and I found it pretty invaluable. And you know, getting into the 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 nitpicky stuff about, you know, oh, I got three mics on my kick drum, and uh, mixing the kick drum with from three mics and. Like that's I, I just use one and putting a mic underneath cymbals as well as overheads and then a mic underneath your snare drum and then a room mic and then a hall mic. I mean, it's you easy check to your get. face. Yeah, right. And but it's easy to get twenty mics on your kit and then it's like, why do I need twenty mics on my kit for a basement recording? You know. <sighs> you know the thing about it is, like they say, weird flex, but okay. But you know what? Flex like a motherfucker. Flex until you pull a muscle sometimes. There's a quote from Ferris Bueller's Day Off what? where Ferris, he takes his dad's Ferrari out for the day and then he's at the fancy hotel and he goes to the bathroom and he's combing his hair. He's talking about that Ferrari and he goes, if you have the means, I highly suggest you pick one up. And that's resonated with me. You know, if, if, you, can, if you can swing it, why not, right? Exactly. You know, just go for it, you know? Yeah. So that's the best way to, yeah, you know, shoot. So I've always wondered, with certain bands, did you ever feel like you had to kind of research or get into a sound that you weren't familiar with? Definitely, every single band. Um, uh, especially when it comes to covers. Like, you can tell a lot by a band's sound when you ask, you know, what sort of tunes do you guys cover? So, you know, I'd never really played punk rock before. And when I started getting into Tasting Darkness and Jenny Hates Techno, some of the, you know, double and quadruple timed uh, four four beats, you know, that's something I'd not really spent much time doing. So I did a lot of research and like even that Blink One Eighty Two song that we covered with Techno. Yeah, damn it, yeah. Yeah. That's I I I'm familiar with the song. I never tried to play it tried to play it before. Me neither. And there's a there's a new right, but there's a nuance to that genre of music that it, oh, yeah. I I just never went down that rabbit hole. But yeah, I I do a ton of research now, especially as a cover band where you're switching gears every single song. And I try to be you know, pretty faithful to what the actual song sounds like. So 
there's, you know, some of the videos we've recently put out, um, what was it? There was one I spent an inordinate amount of time on that I thought was going to be a layup that I'd spend, you know, 30 minutes, you know, start to finish getting that song tracked for just for drums. And it took forever because I'd, I'd never realized the intricacies. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it might have been um, um, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Where there's yes. some, uh, it's, there's no, you don't even hit the toms during that song in the studio version at least. And, and it's, it's deceptively like there's some, some turnaround or when the bridge kicks in, it comes at you fast. And I had to sit there and do that thing so many times. Uh, Message in a Bottle by Police. Oh, Super shit. familiar with that song. Super, yeah. I've listened to that song for 25 years. Never thought to try and play along to it. I'd go to, we put out that video. I go to try and do it. I spent four hours tracking drums for that. You know, I, there's, of course, it's Stuart Copeland, one of the best to ever do it. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I did a, a ton of research. I have to learn all this stuff. And uh, it's a, any band that switches gears, you, you know, you end up doing a deep dive in that genre of music and learning about the history of it and trying to oh, emulate yeah. it. Exactly. Like, you know, recently, you know, Jenny's Techno, we did a cover of Politician My Eyes like last year. And, What's you it know, called? this song, okay, this is a band called Death, right? Yeah. And it came out of Detroit. Those three brothers out of Detroit, right? And they were literally, you know, they saw the Beatles on TV one day and they started a band. They started a funk band called Rockfire Funk Express. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole documentary on it. This is a, it's a mind fuck. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. And they did a song called Politician in My Eyes, right? And the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, this seems simple. Enough. Okay, this is nowhere near as simple as I thought. I mean, Isn't from. It crazy? Isn't exactly. It crazy? Like, and the thing about it is, too, since those tapes, they record in 1973, right? They did like a quick run on songs like Keep On Knocking, Politics My Eyes. Like 800 copies existed. Nobody bought that shit because it was a band called Death. It scared the shit out of everybody. Yeah. So, and the tapes were kept in, you know, in, in, a, in an attic for, until like 2008 when one of their sons found it, right? And this is fucking amazing. It was like, this is fucking punk rock. What the hell? It's like, yeah, I was doing this before Ramones and stuff. It's kind of like right after Stooges, right at, like right around the same time as Stooges and the Ramones and stuff. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, MC5 and the Stooges. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, yeah, you've probably seen the story. But either way, the thing about it is I had to kind of figure the tune on it, too, because it wasn't exactly a perfect tuning of somewhere between, between flat and standard. Mm-hmm. And even the timing on that bitch, I was like, oh, shit. Wait, so you're the, saying they, they played out of tune if it's between flat and standard? Is that what you're saying? They kind of played no, out I, of tune? I, I think because the tapes at the time... They just started to warp over time. Oh, I see. I see. So that's what happened, you know. Gotcha. Also, you never like a tuner back then. You kind of like, eh, close enough for rock and roll. Someone so, give me an E. Someone give me an E. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so we played that in 2017, actually, right? And the thing was a complete shit show. And it exists, but we just kept it on the low. Like, we never put it out or anything right there, right? Yeah. Um. So next thing you know, we do it, like, last year at Pie Shop, right? And I don't know. You are you ever see the show called Rick and Morty? Of course, yeah. Okay, remember that scene when okay when Rick and Morty just barely escape death and everything, and they start yes. breaking down everything. Uh, yeah, when they get back in the car and they yes, start bawling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, because <laughs> right there, because like we pulled it off. I understood that feeling very much, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I was yeah. trying my best not to like ah thing. I was doing my best not to do that on stage. Anyway, but yeah, this is like a, but yeah, 
we just when you really sit down and just learn a lot of stuff and realize i never noticed that pattern was there like you know like really sit down oh my favorite part too is like you ever go through old songs and you can't really figure out like okay what pattern is the hi-hat playing for, oh you know? for sure yeah absolutely uh we're like why did they make the damn kick drum so fucking low like that yeah i don't you know in terms of like how they recorded something i've never really thought that much about it i'm, I'm starting to more now well that's that's not true let me rephrase that I've never really thought about how the recording ended up. Like, I just accept the sound for what it is. Like, the St. Anger snare, I don't give a shit about that. You know? Nobody who, does. Who like, it was, a, it was a thing for what they did. But people, it's a running gag and everything. I was like, right. okay, so what? They tried something new. They did something. Like, they, they did no solos. It, it was, to be told, St. Anger was them trying to like each other again. Right, right. And and so, I, I just... It's it's Metallica. They're you know they're taking a shot. It it didn't work out for, you know for a lot of reasons. What whatever. But but uh, but yeah. When when we did uh, Walking on the Moon by the Police, there's yes. a hi hat solo in that uh, in that song. There and uh, I I had to take my time and sit down and figure out because it's a hi hat solo. You want to replicate it exactly. And I did. Exactly. I figured out how to do it. And it took you know took a long time to to figure that out. So yeah. yeah. I don't really write anything out. Just kind of keep it up in the old noggin. Maybe I'll 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 write a cheat sheet or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you take some stuff. time and listen to the recordings. I, I try and record everything. We multi-track all the rehearsals we do here. So, Same here. Yeah, it, isn't it's it's a beautiful technology and it's so cheap to do these days. You know, like, like relatively speaking. Yeah, but calling back to it, it's like, you know, I think we want to talk. about you want to talk more about this too, but okay. Cause with me, it might be a different answer, but do you feel as a musician, you can't just be a musician. You have to be everything fucking else now. Like you have to be part engineer. You'd be part producer. You have to be part, you know, yes. every, you have to be some of that part bartender, uh, I'm <laughs> part a, like I, therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, since a lot of the rehearsals, not just for capital chill, but for other bands, cause I have the space here, you end up kind of having to, run rehearsal if it's in your space and like hey guys i gotta like eat dinner and go to work tomorrow at some point so you end up having to do a lot of band administration a lot of band management which is like that's not what i signed up for when i learned how to play drum set when i was 11 but uh but so you have to put that sort of hat on which is good because that's kind of what my day job is as well and uh you know herding cats essentially and then yeah I've, i've had to give myself a crash course in how to record stuff, engineering, producing, uh, to an extent. And, uh, I think that, I think that in 2020, at least as any musician needs to at least have a a working knowledge of a DAW and an interface in addition to whatever their primary instrument is. Um, my, my dad's picking up guitar again. He used to play a lot when he was, uh, younger and he's since really? you know picked up a couple of guitars. Yeah, he was he was a uh, he was real good. He came from that school of like Hendrix, Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, that sort of like you know the bluesier shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember years ago we were talking about you saw Joe Bonamassa live, right? I did. Yeah, Kelly and yes. I did. Yeah. Yeah, it was like you know we had a kind of interesting conversation about that. You know, I'm not going to delve too deep and stuff, but that's the fascinating thing about, about influences, right? It's kind of like I put it this way. People were kind of like, you kind of felt like it was this thing with Joe Bonamassa where people expect a certain kind of blues sound, but 
Seeing where his influence was, it made sense that it would yeah. sound like that. Of course. Like, like, here's a weird analogy. Like, I remember, like, people were surprised by, like, when Soldier Boy basically said, oh, my first rap album was actually 50 Cent's Give Her to Die Trying. And I was like, <laughs> how could true? you? I mean, there was so much other stuff. I was like, dude, he's like, well, at the time, he was, like, in his late teens, early 20s when he made it that. He's what the probably, fuck are you expecting to do? He's probably younger than I am, probably. I, exactly. I was, so, yeah. that's his point of reference. Oh, yeah, you know? that's shit. You know, so it was one of those kind of deals where it's like, but that, that's how everyone starts, right? You, you start with what's popular at the time, and then maybe you work backwards, you know, and you start, right. Exactly. You do the, like, like you, you do the deep dive. You do the delve. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, for every, like, you know, ska kid, they discover Fishbone, hopefully, you know. Yeah, or if you like sure. if you like Deftones and you like Faith No More, hopefully you discover Bad Brains. Um, shit like that, you know, whatever. You know, just, if you like Nirvana, hopefully you find about Flipper. You know, or the Beatles. You know, well, it's kind of hard to not find about the fucking Beatles or the goddamn Beatles. Um, it took me a long time to appreciate the Beatles. I'm not going to lie. So I'm trying to figure, okay, but back to the Capitol Chill videos. Yep. You know, so h- how do you record those? Um, so first, I'll, I'll take a, a backing track. If I can find isolated tracks of whatever song we're trying to cover, I'll, uh, I'll make a, a multi-track backing track out of those tracks or just the song itself if, if there are no isolated tracks and uh, I'll send out various iterations with a click track like if there's time changes or something I'll, I'll have a click track that folks can turn on and off in their DAW so they download the backing tracks and they can turn on and off whatever whatever they want and then basically they record against it everyone records against the same backing tracks and I piece it together and uh, start sending out mixes as as I replace the elements of the backing track with the actual guitars, the actual bass, keys, vocals, or whatever. And uh, that that's really it. We're we're fortunate that the you know the folks we have now, shout out to uh, to Rafa and Boyan and and Kelly, uh, have the ability to record themselves from from their house, um, so we can continually put out stuff during COVID. You know. But that, that's it. I just sent out a backing track, and uh, my, but the, one, the, the one thing I, you know, maybe people have an opinion about this, but I, I always snap it to a grid. Like, it takes some of the feeling out of the song, but I do it so that it's easy to copy, not copy and paste, but, but you know, it lines people's stuff up, you know. And uh, if something's not quite right, I can easily fix it here and there, you know, change little things. And it just makes it easy for a click track as well. So um, it just makes sense for stuff like that. You know, if you're going to do like a multi-track and stuff, it's not live. It's the better thing to do. Yeah. Or, or I mean, if you're if you're recording in a studio and you have scratch tracks right there, if you know, it, it's it's one thing to, to to do it without a click track or anything like that. But um, but yeah, for for doing covers that have been done a thousand times before, ten thousand, a hundred thousand times. I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, the groove on Everlong increases slightly during the bridge. I didn't really hear that out of your track. Not that we ever get comments like that, but it's just easier for me to do the post-production on it. If I can easily move stuff around and line it up pretty quickly. Exactly. You know, like, and the thing about it, you ever run across a song that goes so far with the fucking groove you can't believe it? Like, holy shit. Um, quite the opposite, actually. I've, I've run across a lot of songs where I'm pretty sure they didn't use a click in studio, but they're still just like, you know, mechanical with the tempo. Like they all just nailed it. 
Yeah, but there's some been some time signature changes um, that I I'd never really given much thought to that when I go to actually grid it out and and mark those time signature changes in the DAW where I'm like, oh shit, they threw in a random measure of six. That's pretty cool. I like that. You know. Wait, what was that? Okay, this is one Soundgarden song that's actually in six four time, but it's played straight and you don't realize it's in six four time. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I I feel like I've heard that trivia. I'd have to listen to it, but I it's, damn, it's going to drive me nuts. Actually, I'll probably I'll send it to you after the interview. And yeah, stuff. definitely. But it, it was one of those things where I didn't realize. Wait, they're playing it in six, and it's so it's it's not like a one two three four five. Six. It's like one two three four five six. Oh, it's straight one. six. It's like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, oh shit. You know, you know, we hear it though. My one little yeah. piece of trivia like that that I like to pull out from time to time. I can't take credit for, for learning this, but in Master of Puppets by Metallica, obviously, there's a little yeah. piece uh, where it's like... That little... is actually in 5-8, if you count it out. It's, uh, it's a it quick is. song, and uh, that, that's my one little piece of trivia that i like to pull out in terms of time time signatures you know it's kind of weird like when you think about it i've, I've always thought metallica always tried to grow basically say hey, we're not just a thrash band we could be proggy too like those are tends to be kind of proggy without feeling like you know proggish yeah you know? like don't like us a... what i'm always curious is like when they when when bands like that write a song and add in a little thing like that do they know that it's in 5a or they feel it and count it out afterwards and oh shit cool that's a little thing we added there in five I don't you know, know. it's funny. Like, okay, the song Them Bones by Allison Chains, yeah. right? They didn't realize it was a 7 8. They just thought it sounded cool. Yeah, I, I'm was, sure that happens all the time. So, you know, hell, the guys in Corn, right? Like, they just, they didn't just say, hey, these seven string guitars. No, the reason why they found some of these old ass guitars up, you know, in an attic somewhere. They started jamming on It's like, yo, these are out of tune as a motherfucker, <laughs> but they sound cool as shit, though. Hey, we just invented um, Drop B. <laughs> exactly, you know? And they sent, they gave it to the guitar tech. Say, uh, could you figure out what we did here? And they, that's what they did. That's how a lot of things started. You know, just them just serendipitous accidents. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, shoot. Well, about to wrap this up right now. Is there anything else you wanted to check out? Or anything? You know, like any links or anything? Uh, search Mother's Oven on uh, all the wherever you get your music from. We've got an album out there called Copy the Stars slash Music from the Brink. And uh, check out Capital Chill on uh, all the, the social media and storefrontier.com slash Capital Chill Band to get yourself a cool shirt. Koozies for your, for your beer cans, which I have, they have not come in yet. But uh, that's about it. Well, Jake, great chatting with you. Thanks, you too. Hey, that was Jake Deal. Check out his band's Mother's Oven and Capital Chill in the description. Feel free to share the show. Until next time, take it easy.